As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Soccer Show, where today we are talking about Barcelona and their upcoming tie with Manchester United in the Europa League. A tie that feels to Manny like a Champions League game. My name is Jack Collins. I'll be your host there. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by the Athletic's very own Paul Bayouche. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited about this because I think that... Maybe if people haven't been keeping an eye on Barcelona, it's maybe gone under the radar a bit. But I think right now for me, Barcelona, maybe Napoli aside, are the best side to watch in Europe. And it's not always hammering in goals. It's just the fact that Barcelona, for the first time in ages, feel like such a cohesive union. This is 16 unbeaten in all competitions, eight wins in a row in all competitions, 11 points clear at the La Liga Summit, although Real Madrid do have a game in hand. But it's seven goals conceded in 21 La Liga games. Everything looking very rosy at Camp Nou. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are a fun team to watch. Uh, they have like this group of exciting young talents that they really want to improve. They really want to progress. They really want to bring the club to the next level or probably to the level that, that they should be um, and, and that they lost like uh, in the last five seasons, maybe. Um, and I think that this is still like not the end product of what Xavi wants for Barcelona, but it's something that we see glimpses of what Barcelona can be. Um, I would like highlight the work that Xavi is doing here too, because like from a tactical point of view, I think that he is adding like more things and more registers and ways to play that former managers in Barcelona haven't done in the past. Uh, maybe because uh, the group of players didn't allow it, or it was more difficult to shape like different formations with the players that you had. But now Xavi has like yeah, just a group of players that is willing to do anything and to learn and to yeah and to bring this spirit back to Barcelona, uh, which make them uh, as I was saying a fun team to watch, an exciting team to watch, and probably. I don't know if, like, with Napoli, like, the best team in Europe, but for sure, I think that they are in the top 10 of team uh, of teams in Europe and that for the level that they are showing right now, this could be easily a Champions League draw, what, what we're going to see, like, on Thursday. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously the names jump out. This was a Champions League final, obviously, back yeah. uh, in the late 2000s. But I think just generally in the way that the two teams are playing, and I'm excited to look at a little bit how, how that game is going to pan out. But just generally, I think what we're seeing in Barcelona this year is maybe that moving out of the old guard. Obviously, Sergio Busquets is, is injured at the moment. Jordi Alba is still rotating in here and there at left back with Alex Balde. But we saw Gerard Piquet leave the club. Sergio Roberto is here and there off the bench, but it, there's there's not much going on there in that regard. It feels in so many ways like a new team, like new leaders have stepped up. And obviously people are going to pick out Pedri and Gavi in, in the way that they've taken the eight and six shirts. It feels very, very old school in, in exactly yeah. what we're seeing there. And, and it's beautiful to watch, obviously, two players who at least had a spell in La Masia. In Pedri's case, obviously came in a, as a transfer. Gavi came in from Betis when he was a real youngster. But two players who have come through, at, at the very least, a little bit of La Masia's system them but I think also you know you're looking for leaders across the pitch and what we've seen in, in recent years is is Barcelona struggle a little bit I think at centre back PK on the decline but Ronald Araujo has stepped up and become I think what is the cornerstone of this defence and his kind of rise behind the scenes if you will he was excellent even when Barcelona were were struggling I thought but now he just seems like he's this kind of irresistible force in the middle of the defence. And he's been, I think he's now up there in the conversation with the best centre-backs in the world. And it feels soon to do that. But it, it, his performance is justified, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that he can be up there. Uh, I don't know if the best, but he can be up there. Like in terms of the physical condition that he has, I don't see many attackers in the world who are capable just to dribble past him, basically. Um, we've seen all the games that Barcelona has played against Real Madrid recently when he was available, because I can remember that on the league Clásico that we had um, in October, he he wasn't fit to play uh, and, and Real Madrid won. But in every game that he's played as a kind of right-back, just in front of Vinicius Jr., Vinicius Jr. did absolutely nothing. Um, and a player out of position because uh, Araujo was not playing in his natural position with the centre-back. If he can do that with one of the best wingers in the world, I mean, that shows you a bit like the level of player that we're talking about here. I'm kind of interested to see what is Xavi going to do uh, on Thursday, if he's going to deploy Araujo as a right-back as well just to uh, battle with Marcus Rashford because it's going to be another interesting matchup. It's going to be like the tactical battle, probably, and and uh, and a good thing to ask probably to Eric Ten Hag tomorrow in the press conference. But now that you were mentioning that Ronald uh, Araujo as a leader in this dressing room, it's fun that you say that because we haven't discussed that. But we have an interview with Mark Andre Ter Stegen coming on the Athletic, which is going to come out tomorrow, and he basically highlights Ronald Araujo as one of the months that you have to really look uh, look at at the middle of the defense and like uh, like a bold boys in the in the in the dressing room which is a really important thing and probably it's a kind of it's the kind of character that Barcelona needed in terms of like making this change of guard that that you were just mentioning with not not, not just Piquet and Jordi Alba and Sergio Busquets taking different roles but we cannot forget that in the last 5 years such like big figures like Leo Messi like like Luis Suarez these kind of players left the club so Barcelona yeah. needed to find like replacement for that, and I think that Ronald Araujo has has everything to get at this level of 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 relevance inside the locker room. 
Yeah, it definitely feels that way. I mean, his kind of performance on the pitch and the way that he conducts himself on the pitch, I think, speaks yeah. to that quite nicely. It might, you know, obviously some players are leaders on the pitch and they're quiet once they get back into the dressing room. But just the way that he carries himself and the way that he organises defence around him, often with far more senior players in it, you yeah. see that you know, people look to him as a natural leader. And, you know, th there was a question that, that was put to us, I think, generally. that was if Araujo had been fit, during the Champions League campaign, would Barca be in the latter stages of its campaign? And, and if so, where would they sit within the pecking order of actually where it looks? Because there is a lot of teams in this Champions League last 16 who are either wobbling, have had difficult seasons, who aren't in the places we thought they were last year. And, and actually, then you look at Barcelona and the way that the team have, have come together. It feels like, you know, I know you said earlier that you, it wasn't quite maybe the best teams in Europe, but I, I think that generally... There aren't many teams I'd look at right now and go, Barcelona wouldn't best you over two legs if everything went as as has been going in recent weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, this question is something that like senior sources at the Camp Nou or like close to the dressing room, they ask themselves that very same question. Just if Ronald Alaojo and Jules Kunde could have played in that critical games against Inter Milan, uh, probably Barcelona's destiny would be another one right, right now. But... At the same time, I think this is not an excuse because any big team in Europe have to be prepared for that. Injuries, because yeah. th those are things that can happen um, and Barcelona has to be ready for that. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, basically, I think, of course, it was like a massive blow for the team and for the club and for the fans um, ab ab above everyone, in my opinion, just to get kicked out of the Champions League that early. Um, but I think that still Barcelona has managed to find like some kind of hope and some kind of way to make this season like a successful one because if they I think that if they manage to win La Liga which they are like in a really good place um, there's going to be no fan at Barcelona who is going to deem this season as an, as an unsuccessful one because all what Barcelona fans want is just to have like a proof that this team can do something in the long term and I think that uh, a league title would be that basically yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Now, obviously, Manchester United, Barcelona, the big talking point in so many ways is going to be Frankie de Jong. We, we have so much to talk about in terms of the matchups and, and we'll come on to lots of it. But I think the headlines are going to be dominated by Frankie de Jong. Obviously, someone that Eric Ten Hag has worked with before, who he wanted to sign for Manchester United in the summer. There were plenty of conflicting reports, left, right and centre. Frankie's staying, Frankie's going. In the end, he stayed. And one of the big things I think about this season is Frankie's reenvelopment within the first team. And actually we're seeing a Frankie de Jong in better form and better Nick. And I think fitting better into this Barcelona side than we have done at any point in his career in Catalonia. So when you're looking at that and thinking, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about Xavi and the way that he'd changed this team in order to get the best out of players. This feels like a moment in that he feels that he's got the best out of Frankie. And insofar as Sergio Busquets missing for this tie doesn't feel like the end of the world in a way that it might have done a year ago because Frankie is playing in such a wonderful manner. Exactly, exactly. I agree with that. I, I, I still think that Sergio Busquets can be like an important figure for okay. this team. Uh, plus, like alongside Frankie de Jong, I think that Busquets allows Frankie de Jong just to be more free basically and just to run box to box and have this freedom just to dribble past opponents which is his biggest talent um but yeah Xavi basically has given Frankie the confidence and um as he said like a couple of weeks ago I, I think that 
he feels that they found like the perfect place for Frankie. Because the biggest debate when Frankie arrives to Barcelona is that fans or managers couldn't find like his place because he wasn't used to play as a holding midfielder being the only one there. Um, because in at at the Netherlands national team he used to play like with a double pivot, similar than 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 at Ajax. Um and then he wasn't playing like really, really well either, like as a number eight or as a number nine, as an attacking midfielder. So it was tricky to find this position. But now with this extra midfielder that Xavi um, has added, like yeah, just just into the mix with Gabi, with Pedri, with Sergio Busquets, or with Kessie, which is the man that pro- that is most likely gonna play on Thursday. I think that with this four man in there, he manages just to keep the uh, structure that he wants while. Uh, Allowing like talents like Frankie de Jong, like Gabi, every now and then just to free themselves and just to go up and do whatever they feel which is best for the team. And the most important thing is that the four of them are like in top confidence and in top form. I mean, the form that they are in and the confidence and how important they feel for the team and for the locker room is what uh, brought them um, to this level that they are showing right now. And that is going to be the like the key for Barcelona if they want to go through in that tie. Yeah, I think it's interesting this four-man midfield because it, you know, often Barcelona are shaped in a four-three-three. It's it's been the the Cruyffian tradition for however long at the club that has felt like if anyone strays away from it, there are there are consequences. It's how Barcelona expects to play. It's how Barcelona fans expect the team to play. And what I think is really interesting about this because it, it feels like a kind of like a plus one player in, in so many ways. It, it's not a four-four-two. There is very much a right winger in you know Rafinha or who has had the spot for a while or, or Dembele obviously yeah. not not playing at the moment Lewandowski plays as a traditional number 9 and the way that it it works i suppose is the fact that Pedri and Gavi are such intelligent young players that they just know where to fill space and yeah. so however the team lines up whether it's Gavi nominally on the left wing or if it's Pedri nominally on the left wing and Xavi has rotated them against different opposition to provide different things. It's their ability to read the game and find those spaces that makes the entire thing work. And Barcelona are blessed with two of the most exciting midfield talents in the world right now. Absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, the tactical intelligence that they both have, uh, it's off the charts, basically. I think that Xavi prefers uh, to have Pedri more in the middle, more close like to areas where he can, uh, whether like leak passes to the final third or help the team in the build-up, depending on the game, depending on what he needs. And Gabi is like, Gabi is like a free spirit. Um, he's just full of passion. He just, um, he doesn't hold hold himself back. Uh, he doesn't care if his opening is like two, mit- two, two meters tall. Um, he's just a fighter. And this kind of a spirit is what Barcelona needs to fill all the spaces and all the blanks and all the wideness that, all the width that Xavi wants to give to the pitch. I also think that um, one player that deserves one credit, a bit of credit for that, is Alejandro Valde. Yeah. Because playing as a left back, he's mostly operating as a wing back or as a winger. Um, because Ch- Xavi just protects himself like with a back three sometimes, with Christensen, Kunde, and Araujo, because they are so good and so reliable that he can afford that. And then just push Valde up just to keep that width um, and play with the good ones inside, which is uh, like conceptually, what Barcelona is about, like providing width to the pitch and just 
left the intelligent and technically good players inside to let them find the spaces because they are so good with that. And that's what Xavi is finding with this system, with this team, with the players that he's had. Um, I think that he's managing basically to take the best out of the team, which at the end of the day, uh, no matter what style you want to play and what formation you want to play, taking the best out of the team is the is the biggest target that you have a, as a manager. And I think that Xavi is is having success w- with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, if I'm not mistaken, there's only one under-21 player in Europe with more assists than Alejandro Balde, which is a pretty stunning statistic considering that he hasn't started, you know, every game. He's worked his way into this side. Yeah. And it felt like Barcelona fans were calling for, for his introduction for a long, long time. And Barcelona have had terrible luck with left-backs beneath Jordi Alba. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, that's it's a difficult role to play because you know that Alba is going to play most of the time, especially in his peak. Now he's coming a little bit off that. That's fine. But generally, I think you look at the, the amount of left backs that the Barcelona cycled through in their yeah. attempt to find a successor and understudy to Jordi Alba. And it's, you know, and one that's come from their own ranks has actually made the difference. And, and it's testament to the fact that, you know, we look, we talk about that great La Masia generation, right? And, and lots of people will discuss it. And the question was always, could they produce another one? Now, the answer to that question might be no. They might, it might never reach the heights of, of what that generation achieved. But I think when you look through this side now and you look through the players coming off the bench, you look at some of the players doing well out on loan as well. This feels like another, if not golden generation, then at least another generation where Barcelona can re- rely on their own academy talent to provide the basis and the kind of heartbeat of this squad. Yeah, I, I agree with that too, because with all the financial problems and the off-the-pitch problems that Barcelona have been linked with in the past, it is just priceless to have the academy they have. It is just priceless because what they found, I, I mean, they have a really good ge- generation now, but I mean, and I've spoken about that with a lot of sources and people like involved in the industry here in, in Spain. At the end of the day, you can have talents, but you have to give them minutes. You have to give them confidence. Um, and Barcelona, for one reason or the other one, they had to give them confidence now. Maybe because they didn't have like many options to sign a lot of players, or maybe because the manager just saw, okay, this guy Gabi and this guy Pedri and this guy Araujo, we have to put them on the first team. Just whatever reason you, you want to credit. But the fact is that they did it, um, and it is just, I mean, if if someone at Barcelona or someone, any like economics professor or something like that, if they could figure out which is the best way to get out of like the financial turmoil that Barcelona is right now, mm, no, no one could choose for a better option than having so many young talents that they came through the club for nothing um, and that they are just tipped to be like mm, the next big thing, basically. And like having mentioned all this talent that we have mentioned, we have forgotten now at this point about Ansu Fati, which yeah. back at b- back in the day he was probably like not. I'm not going to say like the next Lionel Messi because no one is going to be that, but he looked like the like the perfect the pinnacle, the crown jewel. Exactly, exactly. And now, well, because he's not in his best form because of the injuries that he's had in the past, and because he's not starting, it seems that he's more dispensable if you want to call it that way. But again, like another display of talent, which is like amazing and a proof of what Barcelona has um, in their own system. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, I think this is it. And, you know, we'll come on to the finances towards the end of the podcast. I just want to kind of touch on the fact that while everything looks sunny, there still remain clouds on the horizon in the kind of longer term picture. But I think what's going to be interesting with this game is where it's won or lost. And I think you were spot on earlier when you say that battle between whoever plays right back, whether it be Arojo or whether it be Kunde against... Um, against Marcus Rashford, and who's been in absolutely flying form. It's going to be very interesting. I also think this midfield battle, and look, we talked about the shape of Barcelona's midfield. We know that Casemiro is is coming back, an old foe back to a, to haunt the Camp Nou again. Um, yeah. But you actually look at the rest of, of Manchester United's midfield. Sabitzer, I believe, is suspended because he picked up three yellow cards in the Champions yep. League with Bayern. Um, we know that Christian Eriksen is injured. They're the two players that you know Manchester United have looked to progress with in terms of next to Casemiro for the for the team to kind of work on its full operational level. Now Bruno can do lots of different things. He's a wonderful footballer. Um, but I think the Barcelona, Manchester United, sorry, look weaker when they don't have a number eight in in their double pivot. Uh, they look like they have no one to progress the ball quite as quickly into Bruno into. Marcus Rashford, whoever that is, Fred will probably play there. And, and Fred is a, f- a fine, more than competent footballer, but doesn't have the same kind of esteem. I do wonder if, you know, a newly goal-scoring threat of, of Pedri, I think this is his, you know, top-scoring season ever. Yeah, he looks yeah. on track for, for double figures at the very least, maybe yeah, 15, yeah. given the form he's in. And, you know, the, the kind of impetus of Gavi and the ability of Frankie to, to wander around players alongside Frank Kessier, who we all know has that physical combativeness to actually get on top of Casemiro, but also has those late runs that I loved and intelligent late runs into the box to make things happen. I have a funny feeling that Barcelona's midfield might swallow Manchester United up here, especially in a home leg in the first leg and with so many key players missing. I think you're you're really spot on as well. I think on the first leg, that's going to be like the place where Barcelona has to win the game if they want to win it. Um, because 
I think that Manchester United, both teams have injuries because Barcelona is not going to have Dembele and Busquets. Um, but the injuries that Man United have are more have a bigger impact to the team um, because I think that if Eriksen would have been available, probably he he would play and Bruno would play and Casemiro would play and Fred maybe would play too. So um, uh, Ten Hag will not have the chance to strengthen this this midfield maybe as he would have wanted to. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see how he compensates it. Um, if he wants to have like a more aggressive centre-back just to um, go and press out to the midfielder, to the Pedris, to the likes of Frankie de Jong if he goes up. Um, that's that's a good debate uh, as well because I think that maybe Shaw is going to play as a centre-back. Um, I think that he did like some kind of test on the weekend. We, we, we could see with Shaw and Harry Maguire playing against Leeds. And I think that Shaw was the best player on the pitch uh, or on the defence for, for sure. Um, he can play as a centre-back and he can be like this aggressive player that steps out of his position just to do an intelligent pressing. So it's going to be uh, the, the, like, like the middle of the part is going to be where one of the areas where the game is going to be decided for sure. Um, the other one probably is going to be like the um, just... Anywhere where where Mark could fight for this, <laughs> um, and then yeah, let, let, let's see how both managers try to um, compensate and how to hurt the opponent with the system. But if you ask me um, who I think that might be favorite for the first game, I would say Barcelona just because of this, because of the injuries and the, and the suspended players. Lisandro Martinez won't be playing either, which is a pivotal figure for Man United as well. Um, so I think that. Barcelona has to take advantage of that um, and try to get the best result of the first leg. Having said that, I think that there is practically no no result for Barcelona that guarantees a qualification uh, before going to Old Trafford. Yeah, it, it feels like that, doesn't it? Especially just, yeah. as you say, the form that both are in. Now, I wanted to just ask about Lewandowski because obviously 14, appearance, uh, 14 goals in 18 appearances in La Liga. It's a cracking return. He had five and five in the Champions League, two and two in the Copa, two and two yeah, yeah. in the Supercopa. It, it's been a, a stunning season in many ways. Um, but watching him against Villarreal uh, at the weekend, and, and look, this is a good Villarreal side. I don't think anyone, anyone's questioning that. But just seemed a shade off the pace, finishing wise. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of 1-0 wins for Barcelona this season. And that's something to be commended. I think it's a good thing in terms of you see teams building from these 1-0s rather than 5-3s or, or, you know, 5-4s. Yeah, it's probably better to have the the control and the the ability to just be able to go, okay, we're just not letting you in and we don't have to play at our best going forward in order to win games if, if, if that's the case. And and so when you kind of look at all of these things and you, you, you kind of take it into account, where is Lewandowski's head at? Because he, he feels like he's snatching a little bit of chances at the moment. Maybe it is the fact that you know, Bayern were a free-scoring machine where he was able to, to dominate. He's still got an unbelievable scoring record for Barcelona. But it's not quite as maybe headline grabbing as it was over in Munich. Yeah, I think that. I mean, it, it, in my opinion, it's basically like a deep of form uh, after the World Cup. I think that Lewandowski didn't have the same impact in the team that he had be, 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 before it. I think that it can be deemed as just normal uh, because you you cannot be like in top form uh, for the whole season. Plus, with the World Cup here in the middle, that was making like things even more difficult in terms of like physical condition and preparation. Um, luckily for for Barcelona, other players have stepped up. 
um, but yeah, I think that it's fair to have this debate and it's healthy for Barcelona just to question themselves that, that Lewandowski hasn't been as difference maker like in the last three weeks, let's say, than uh, what, what he had been like in November or in December where he basically won games by himself for Barcelona. Um, having said that, pro pro probably we just set him up for a big night on Thursday. <laughs> maybe that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, if, if that works for Barcelona, um, I think that all the fans are going to want me in this podcast like for, for, for a long time. Every week, every week we'll have a recurring feature going exactly. on. Uh, Paul, just a couple of, of questions before we go. One is, you know, you talked about the fact that it was hard for Barcelona fans to you know, take the fact that there was that early exit of the Champions League. Now, last year in the Europa League, we saw some funny scenes uh, Camp now in the fact that obviously Frankfurt came to town and people had sold loads of tickets to Frankfurt fans. They were all over the home ends. It wasn't particularly pleasant to see. Obviously, Barcelona felt like they probably should have been favourites for that competition and they crashed out in a quite... Well, very unconvincing display, I'll yeah. say. And you look at all of it. Now, this team feels in better shape this time round to go on and win this competition. And I think most people will say to you that whoever wins out this tie out of Barcelona or Manchester United will be favourites for the Europa League crown. I've always said about the Europa League, and it's my favourite competition, so I, I'm oh, wow. biased in this, in that if you don't respect the Europa League, it has no respect for you. And it's backed up by the fact that I think eight of the last 11 winners were teams who started in the Europa League rather than teams that dropped down from the Champions League. Yeah. Do you think there's an element of Barcelona fans this time around, given the team is younger, a little bit more exciting, more dynamic, will buy into the competition a little bit more? It's a competition that Barcelona haven't won before. Uh, yeah. Now, there's not many competitions you can say that for. Uh, yeah. And it maybe it is because it's a second tier, if you will, competition. But I, I do wonder kind of how the fan base will get into this. I think the Man United game in this regard might be a, a blessing in that it feels like a massive game in the fact that it's Barcelona, Man United, and then it moves on and, as opposed to getting a, I don't know, you, you, to get a, a smaller side who have come through in second place yeah. in their group maybe would have would have felt more uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of agree with you in the sense that the Man United game is like regarded as really big here in Barcelona. Um, at the same time, I mean, I think that the analysis here has to start from the fact that Barcelona fans are not particularly uh, excited about playing in the Europa League. That's a fact. Barcelona fans want to be in the Champions League. And as you said, you, Europa League is not a, in the same terms of yeah. elite level as the Champions League can be. And Barcelona fans want to be there. Um, that's that's probably like what you, the episode that we saw with with Eintracht Frankfurt for me was like the perfect like a storm for everyone because Barcelona fans weren't like really excited for the uh, Europa League. I know that uh, it was like the late stage of the later stage of the competitions, but it wasn't like a big European team. Fans mm, probably didn't feel uh, that excited to go to the stadium. Uh, me meanwhile, Eintracht Frankfurt fans felt that this was like once of a lifetime opportunity that maybe they they wouldn't have like another chance to go to the Camp Nou and to have a big night. So they all went there. Barcelona fans were just happy to not go to the stadium. Uh, then the, the club was happy to find a way to um, fulfill like all the seats. I'm sure that, well, uh, they didn't know that uh, that the pictures that, that we would see after the games would be like, like the pictures that ended up happening. But it was like, yeah, as I was saying, just like the perfect storm. It's something that is not going to happen against Man United because from the club, they expect like 
come now to be like in full capacity. But that's just because Barcelona fans are just uh, they are desperate to test themselves against a big U U European team, and that's what Man United is going to be. It's going to be like a big test for the club in terms of like showing them where they kind of are in Europe. It's not the Champions League. It's not quarterfinal of the Champions League or round of 16 of the Champions League, which is going to be played now. But they feel like it's going to be like, what's the temperature in the club? This game is going to tell. Um, and that's what Bar Barcelona fans want. Um, because I I'd say that if in the next round they draw like against, and no disrespect for any club, but with a team that doesn't have like the pedigree of Man United, the fans won't be that much excited as they are now. So uh, Barcelona socios and members uh, want in the in the in the Europa League to have like a good test uh, to tell them where they are in in European football, and I think that they can find it now. But they couldn't find it last season in the in the in the Europa League, which it doesn't tells anything good about the club because like a big club should like face any game with the mentality just to win it and yeah. it's the trophy as you were saying that Barca doesn't have on, on on their cabinet and they have to want it but um, like the uh, like the mind of the fans didn't operate in that way and I think that the club itself could see that it's gonna be interesting isn't it because this year's Europa League has a lot of giants of the European yeah. game it? so obviously well it's Manchester United Barcelona obviously then Juventus Sporting Shakhtar Donetsk, okay, maybe a little yeah, bit less, but Ajax, you know, and then you look at the Spanish sides involved and you look at Sevilla, you look at Real Betis. Now, yeah. Sevilla obviously having a dreadful season, but we're talking about the two big clubs in Seville. Real Sociedad, I think everyone has gone come to respect around around Spanish football for, for the Great way team. that they've achieved. Indeed. Yeah, and yeah. then you have Monaco and PSV Eindhoven, Roma, Arsenal. Arsenal, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You know, arguably what you want from a Barcelona perspective in that regard is you want the hardest round run possible to the final in order that the excitement keeps up. And again, as you say, no disrespect to the likes of a Union Saint-Gerois, who are obviously Belgian champions last year, but you don't want that game if you're Barcelona. You want, you want the hard test to keep coming because it keeps everyone's levels up for a competition and it reduces the round of a shock. Yeah, plus it's something... I mean, with the young generation that, that Barcelona has right now, I think that you have to show them that Barcelona can provide them with high-tension games, with high-level games, with like the biggest scenario, the game that all the all the sides and all the attention in the world football is looking at. Um, because that's what Barcelona is used to, and that's what the likes of Gabi and Pedri want. Um, and the way just to convince him, uh, to convince them that Barcelona is just the place to be is to is just to show them that Barcelona can be able to attract that, to attract those kind of games. Uh, of course, you, Europa League is not uh, ideal, but the fact of yeah, um, having the the ability of making them feel on the big stage, it's a crucial thing that 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 Barcelona has to aspire for. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now we mentioned it midway through the podcast, but I wanted to kind of finish with this. Everything does look very rosy at the moment in terms of the way Barcelona are playing, but the financial issues remain on the horizon. You just give us a kind of brief overview of what has to happen in the summer and where Barcelona are in these ways, because it feels like the problems haven't gone away, even if they've been assuaged a little bit. Yeah, uh, the problems haven't gone away. Um, and basically, well, we've seen like a glimpse of it this January where Barcelona have struggled even to register Gabi's new contract under La, La, La Liga salary rules because La Liga is being like really 
uh, a strict for a club like Barcelona just to basically fix the mess and fix uh, how um, discompensated uh, were like their budgets. Basically, um, they expect Barcelona just to re reduce their their wage bill, um, and Barcelona is on their way, or at least is what the club claims. Um, but there's still like a long way to go. Um, in Barcelona, in Soma, we expect like uh, like a huge activity, uh, not as much in signings, but maybe like in the high offices in the club, just to try to reduce like the salary bill. There are a lot of talks of of players potentially going out. There are Sergio Busquets um, ne ne nearing the end of his contract. Sergio Busquets has a big salary, so um, it has to be seen what happens with him. There's uh, figures like like Gerard Piqué who left, who were like earning a big salary uh, uh, as well. So Barcelona is basically heading to this recalculation of how they invest their money. There's still work to be done with La Liga, as I was saying, being really uh, a, a streak with it. Uh, the next challenge that the club has is to register Ronald Araujo's and Marcos Alonso's new contracts under the salary rules, which is something that La Liga is, close, is closely monitoring to. Alejandro Valde, we are being told that his contract is basically all agreed, but they are waiting uh, to give him the green light to see how the uh, financial thing with La Liga salary bill works. So Barcelona is basically doing a lot of diplomacy here, um, seeing how they can fit uh, the, the, this kind of numbers. Because the problem that, that they have is not as much of uh, cash flow terms, because they have cash, they have money to invest, but they don't have margin to scrap players within like the salary limit, which is something that they are, as I was saying, working to try to fix yeah i mean there's there's a few big names out on loan obviously Serginio dest has been at ac yep. milan clement Lenglet is at tottenham samuel Titi is as we were talking before the podcast yeah. is at lecce and having a great old time at lecce yeah, with yeah. all accounts uh, and francisco trincao is, is still on the books so, i mean somehow i have no idea how how that's still still going but he's still there Are these the kind of exits we're kind of looking at in the summer, as well as maybe the likes of well, perhaps a Ferran or someone like that who seems to be on the fringes of the squad rather than any key pieces being sold? I think that most of the lone players are really likely to not be part of Barcelona's squad next season. Uh, Umtiti and Lenglet are players that, of course, Barcelona have better options now on defence and, and it's... I think that saying it's very likely that they are going to be in this squad next season is an understatement. Um, I think that Sergio Dest is is gonna they, they they are gonna try to sell him permanently too because Barcelona is looking for other options in the right flank basically. Um, and yeah, then we see what happens. But at the same time, I wouldn't dismiss like the option of like some big player leaving the club. Um, there's been a lot of talk in Barcelona about Ansu Fati. Um, there's the thing here um, with Ansu Fati and Ferran Torres because something that I try to explain like in some pieces that I've done like in the recent weeks for, for Barcelona has a different impact say, selling for the same uh, amount of money Ansu Fati than, than Ferran Torres. If, if you sell Ansu Fati for, let's say, and we are just being like hypothetical here, but if you sell Ansu Fati for 60 million, it's like 60 million of full profit for the club because Barcelona had had to pay nothing for him. But in terms of Ferran Torres, they, they, had, they, they had to pay more than 50 million for him. Yep. So they still have to pay money for Ferran Torres. They still have to amortize him. Yeah. 
um, and selling him for 60 million doesn't report like as many profit to the books as Ansu Fati would do. That's probably why there's been like these rumors and this speculation around uh, Ansu Fati. More than from a sporting perspective or a sporting point of view, from an economic point of view, from a financial point of view, which somehow uh, some important people at Barcelona is how they are looking at the club right now because the club has to be managed in that regard as well too. Um, so it's a difficult position. Let's see what happens. But, but yeah, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't like fully dismiss the option of a big name like Ansu Fati uh, going out next summer. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see how Barcelona yeah. move in the markets next summer. But before that, we have an incredibly interesting game against Manchester United this week. Thank you, Paul. It's been a real, real pleasure having you on. Really happy to be here. Anytime. Thank you very much. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Athletic Soccer Show, talking all things Barcelona ahead of their clash with Manchester United in the Europa League this Thursday. It is an absolutely unmissable fixture. Make sure you're all over it. We'll see you soon.